We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I already hit record, so we can just kind of go from here. Beautiful. How's the how's the MMA stuff? I guess shit. I guess you had MMA stuff, but now you don't anymore. Uh, we were so looking forward to it. I might have to do like a rewatch of Mortal Kombat this week, the movie, just to satiate the the appetite. It, it's funny, like MMA. I, I don't like. Obviously, Cody and Paul do that show, and I produce it. But MMA Twitter journalists really seem to hate MMA. It's really weird. They hate every... And I get that there was a lot of people who didn't like the decision of holding it on either a fire island, like a spider skull island in the middle of an unknown location, or doing it on this reserve in California where it initially got canceled this week. But it seemed like everyone wanted it to fail. Like, if Dana had said, like, we aren't doing fights, it seems like the MMA journals would be like, well, you should be doing fights. Just fuck you. It's really weird. I, I, it's the strangest collection of Twitter journalists covering a sport out of all of them. Like most journalists and most sports seem to be like, yeah, this sport is awesome. This sport are, is awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like they're like that. And maybe it's just like the three or four people that I follow and it just seems that way. But I don't know. I, I found it really bizarre. That is, uh, that is bizarre. That is, I, w- I would say that is, that is certifiably weird for sure i i and there there are just i i always find it weird when someone spends all their time on the internet complaining about something i do i mean you do that i do complain a lot you love complaining and mixing it up with people you shouldn't be mixing it up with that i mean that is that is easily my biggest character flaw yeah no no doubt no doubts about that yeah you you love a good uh you you love a good AI. Uh, there's a there's downside to this. I'm gonna engage. It's true. It's it's really true. There there is um there's only asymmetric downside, right, to what to what I'm doing because there's no 
there's no upside to it at all. It's only, there's only risk. There is no reward. Cause it's not like you would ever own someone, you'd, you'd never own someone online to the extent that they'd be like, Oh, I've been owned. You know what I mean? Even the same way. Like you can't even interact with people to the point where if you make a good point that they're actually going to change their opinion, like they have their opinion and that's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it, 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 there's nothing, but there's nothing, but um, there's nothing but downside really. That is, that is certainly true. So what have you been up to this week? A- anything changed for you? you we, we always like to start this off with uh, where, where's your panic level. Uh, I'm usually near a one. You're usually near a 10. I, I'm still at one. So like, Panic level of me personally dying from this, like zero, right? I, I just, I, I think that we have enough research to indicate that people who live outside of the super, super pandemic zones, so like, you know, don't live in New York, don't live in Lombardy, Italy, don't live in X, Y, and Z, young people generally are able to survive. My, the panic meter that I currently have with regards to all of this now is is pretty much just reserved for the economic stuff just just the economic fallout of the country being shut down so you're gonna be the type of person who is just like you know what we've had enough of the social distancing we've had enough of no the no 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 we need to get the economy back on track because that's going to kill more people and that's a, not like an uncommon thing that people are saying uh no i'm not one of those people i understand So like to be that type of person, you have to just be the type of person that can say these faceless, nameless people I'll never meet. I'll never have to suffer the consequences of not knowing this. Um, I just, I, I accept that I am, my, my position is leading other people to die who I'll never meet. Um, You know, and that, that, that doesn't sit particularly well with me, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't with me either, but it's, it can be somewhat striking uh, to try to contrast both sides of it only because look, I, I don't want anyone to die, but it seems like people are dying at this point. But if you do have a large percentage of people that let's say is 10 X or 20 X that are going to go broke, lose their homes, any of this stuff without being having the ability to work versus the amount of people that would perish because of the coronavirus and everything else that kind of goes in if you have too many corona patients in a hospital. And that doesn't seem to be the case outside of like major, major metropolitan, metropolitan areas as of this point. But, you know, then people who have cancer treatment who are who have to go into the hospital now, all of a sudden that they're super susceptible or maybe that there's not enough doctors to be able to treat them. There's that argument to it, too. But if you have 20 X the other side, like economic, I mean, we saw this through like the Great Depression. Like there's a reason it was called the Great Depression. It wasn't just the economy that was depressed. People get depressed. Mental health problems crop up. People can't afford to live. Like people are going to die that way too. Like I don't know if there is a right answer in terms of the actual balance of it. If you can say it's one way or it's another. Is there a hybrid way where you can help both people? I, I honestly don't know. I think that's the biggest challenge that people are trying to wrap their minds around right now i don't think that i don't think that if you have a stance that's like black or white either way you're doing any sort of service to actually thinking about this problem yeah i i mean it's certainly it's also a problem that like there there's not really a perfect solution to any of this because 
people are going to die both as a result of the coronavirus. People are going to die because hospitals are overwhelmed. People are going to die. You know, like death rates of like the flu and stuff is going to increase because there's just going to be more sick people. There's going to be less hospital stuff available to those sick people just, you know, just in general overall. And then also, you know, there's, there is pretty significant research to suggest that, you know, every time the uh, employment rate goes up by 1%, you know, that turns into, I think the number is 40,000 more deaths, you know, every time that that happens. So there, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this, this economic downturn is just as violent, just as bad. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, 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 I, I can speak firmly though, that the people who were like, time to reopen the country on April 13th, uh, those people are wrong. Those are the only people I know for sure who are wrong. I mean, I wouldn't hate that. That's my birthday. I'd like to go and party on my birthday. I, I mean, it would be it would be nice to be able to go out and go golf and, you know, do, go to the grocery store and go to the gym and do all that stuff. But it's just it's not realistic. And, you know, I think that that keeps us further away from our overall goal, basically. I, I've seen a lot of world leaders say that this week not so much in america but you know the rest of the world that like life can't actually get back on track no matter what we do until a vaccine is done that seems to be like the smartest people that speak on this matter seem to be saying you can't really return to normal everyday pre-coronavirus life until we have not only a vaccine but a mass-produced vaccine that makes a lot of sense but People, what's the closest a vaccine could potentially be? Not even mass production, to actually find one that works 12 to 18 months away? So that's what, again, that's what, you know, the smart people are saying is that is that a good vaccine is, is you know, the median projection for that would be 18 months away. There's also been some reporting that there are vaccines being tested now. I think the, the big obstacle to vaccines would not even necessarily be finding one that worked, but it would be testing it, testing it and, and knowing that this works. Right. So that means that, uh, you know, the, the, the testing procedure, like the scientific method testing procedure is not something that happens overnight. And then even further than that, it's mass producing it and mass distributing. And, and also, you know, I'm sure there's going to be an argument over the, the vaccine and over the testing in terms of, uh, you know, pro- like how to find profits. Sure. I, I guess it depends on which country actually develops this stuff, too. Like if Germany finds it. I think we've talked about this before, that there are certain countries that will essentially open source this if they find it so we can get everything. Trying to find the profit in the vaccine seems like a very uniquely American way, American thing to happen. <laughs> That is, that's bigly American. Yeah, just like, okay, the, the world is definitely dying. People are definitely sick. Uh, you know, how can, we find, how can we find the absolute best way to, uh, to, to line our coffers? I, I think that is, you're right, very uniquely American. So I guess the other thing right now, too, is I think last week we said, I, I predicted May 13th is when everyone just says, fuck this, and we're going back to life as normal. Do you think that's over or under? May 13th that is I month, think basically a month from now I will take I will take over so as in past May 13th I will take over that well, that's good I mean that's I'm not saying that everyone once it gets to like May 13th or before that like, everyone's gonna be like oh screw this but you'll have a high percentage of people who are just like I'm not staying indoors anymore I'm not doing this yeah I mean I think I think you're certainly 
I think that is certainly correct, right? That there's just going to be, um, uh, there are going to be pockets of people that are like, I'm not doing this anymore. You can't tell me what to do. You know, they're just those types of people, as we've spoken about, you know, just that uniquely, not, well, not even actually uniquely American, but very American uh, mindset of like, you know, the government can't tell me what to do. Uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, we, we've discussed this a little bit, and I think it depends state by state, city by city, even like county by county. Uh, when you look at it, like this weekend would be a really good test case for it. It's the long weekend. It's Easter weekend. Uh, even in like I'm in Toronto right now, the weather is like kind of it's the coldest it's been in a few weeks, but it's really nice out. And as we record this on a Saturday afternoon, uh, you know, I haven't seen many people out. But this is always like the strange thing when we talk about this. I don't actually know how many people are out because I'm not going out. So how am I supposed to know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I mean, so it's like I can't I can't tell you, you know, how many people are at the grocery store, how many people are, you know, not social distancing and stuff, because I can only say what I see from my neighborhood and like the, the two main roads next to my neighborhood. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, like my, my buddies, uh, who are around and, you know, I think most, I would say most of my friends are taking social distancing and quarantining pretty seriously. I would say that most of the people that I know as well, including my family, which I'm stunned at, uh, the, the only person who remains, not a big fan of staying inside or social distancing is my grandmother, who's 84 and just is at the store every day, Scan- scanning for deals, not even buying stuff. Well, I mean, just the, the so there. I would, so something I have noticed from this is that there are people whose mindsets and way of just their worldview is so far opposite from mine they're just there could never be common ground between us it is just their their thinking is so alien to me i just i would be surprised if there's one thing that we'd agreed upon yeah which I is mean, just a weird thing to think about and this is my super duper old grandma she is an immigrant who hates immigrants um and her line to me was if i survive the nazis i'll survive this <laughs> And you know what? Okay, so I actually I actually do kind of get that mindset, which is just, you know, I've been through worse. I'm not going to let I'm not going to let a virus uh you know, I'm not going to let a virus kill me. And and maybe because I mean, I, I assume your grandmother did not go to college, did not, you know, no, uh, she, is that is that accurate? At, at the end of World War II, I think she came over to Canada in 19 I want to say 49, 51 somewhere around there, but she was like seven or eight when World War II broke out. She was in Holland, so they got annexed pretty quickly, and they just lived under, like, Nazi rule. And the only reason she came to Canada was because it was Canadians who liberated her town. Really? <laughs> yeah. So that's how Pat, that's how, that's how that's Pat, how Pat ended, ended up in Nova Scotia? That's, yeah, she, and that's the closest port coming over from, from Europe, especially at the time when there was no like air travel or anything. I mean, maybe there was air travel, but only the riches could afford that. But when you came right. over, the first place that you land getting into North America, the closest point is Pier 21 in Halifax. So we just have a very high, like where I'm from, we have a very high immigrant population from all sorts of places, like a lot of Western Europe, but also like a lot of Middle Eastern places. Like where there's a lot of Lebanese people, a lot of Egyptians, uh, just a lot of people who came over because it is the first point of entry both to Canada and the U.S. It's the closest one. And a lot of people just say, I'm going to stay here. This is fine. 
So, in, no, I mean, the point I was making, though, is that I assume your grandmother uh, just, you know, never went to, to school to, oh, like, even, yeah. like, learn, like, what a virus is, like, how a virus works, why viruses can't be cured, so on and so forth, which is, like, that's definitely knowledge that someone in their 20s or 30s in the United States just, like, kind of takes for granted knowing. I don't think that's lost on her. I just don't think she gives a shit. <laughs> which, you know what, I mean, I... I, I it's a, it's a big it's it's like not very responsible of her uh it's not responsible of anyone but if you're i i guess i guess that's really the big issue with the social distancing stuff is it's not even if you acknowledge like i don't care if i die from this you are just you, just by being out and about you are just propagating it so much worse for other people to deal with you know for for years or months or whatever yeah so like but my so my grandmother she's in her like she actually just moved she had sold her house she moved into like a condo building because you know, getting up the stairs not super easy when you're 84 moving to a place with an elevator much easier underground parking that kind of thing so she's in this complex now and she actually hangs out with my other grandparents like they're friends like the my both my grandmas like go to the casino together and stuff like that in good times but my other grandparents like won't leave the house being like, no, we don't want to, we don't want to get infected. We don't want to infect anyone else. And she's like, yeah, do you want to like uh, come over and play cards? They're like, no, we can't do that. Like we can't see you. <laughs> so it's we just- can't see, we can't see you. And you've been like actively trying to see as many people as possible. So we, we especially can't see you like furthermore than like anyone else. We really don't want to see you because you've been hanging out in the grocery store all day. Yeah, now she is going during old people hours, which is nice, uh, I, I guess, because there are, like, fewer people in the store. And she's not going – I misspoke. She's not going every day now. She's only going, like, every third day now. My dad had to I talk mean, some sense into her. What a – I mean, you know, people mostly – well, actually, what, what do you think about this? Do you think people are mostly good or mostly bad? Mostly good. By, a, in, like, a large amount of people are more good than bad. So I think this is a really interesting – dichotomy between you and i and probably is that a lot of what makes these shows interesting to people that we listen to because i think people are mostly bad or mostly bad is probably not accurate i think people are mostly selfish and just will act out of their own self-interest just a a huge huge portion of the time and so i don't disagree with you if pressed to like if it came down to this then yes people would act in their own self-interest and when it comes to things like the the thing that like very the reason the republican party is a better party than the democratic party for galvanizing votes is because the republican party seems to understand that people only vote on like one maybe two things everyone who like you hear speaking as a part of the democratic party or even people on twitter seem to believe that every voter has like a list of 18 things and if i don't agree with you on issue number 16 then I hate you. You're the worst. Republicans and conservatives don't feel that way. They're like, oh, we agree on the one thing that I care about. You're good enough for me. That's why people that's that's why people who don't like Trump vote for Trump, because he's like, oh, I'll put some old fogey who hates gays on the Supreme Court. They're like, oh, good enough for me. You're, I'm in. <laughs> I don't care what else you do. I, I think I actually I actually think that most the the reason that i mean the democrats are bad at politics for a lot of reasons but i think 
the reasons for Trump winning are not actually related to his racism. I think it's um, mostly money, which you and I have talked about before. No, but I, but, I, I, but I think that when the, the overlooked thing that he did was, yes, there's a money component to that that was great at getting moderate people and the people who hated Hillary, whatever. But when he said that he would put a social conservative on the Supreme Court, that just appealed to the religious right. The re- religious right doesn't care that he's not religious, but he will act if he said he was going to act in our favor. That's the one issue that we vote on. He said he would do it. We'll vote for him. Yeah, I mean, so like and and the Republicans uh, and, you know, the most brilliant thing they've ever done was turn social conservatism into like a big a big part of their party. Right. Because, uh, you know, things things like. Um, abortion, gay marriage, and stuff like that. Those those things would not have to be fundamentally aligned with the Republican Party, which is uh, based on you know uh, small government. Theoretically, it just it was very it was brilliant politics by the people who are the architects of the Republican Party to really involve that stuff in their party's message. But the point that I was trying to make is that I am I feel very heartwarmed when I see things like old people hours at the grocery store or, or, you know, just like very simple things like that, that are not hard to implement that help out people who have a hard time helping themselves because I just so often expect the worst of people. Like I just expect people to act, you know, in their self-interest as much as possible. Um, so just like stuff like that, I, I think is cool when it actually happens. So to even to share a story, the last time I went to the grocery store, the supermarket, I don't know, would you, what do you guys call it down there? I just call it the store. Like, oh, I'm going to go to the store. But wouldn't that like, is that a convenience store? Is that like a Walmart? That's like when, when someone, I think when someone in like Kansas or Missouri says like, oh, I'm going to go to the store, they mean the supermarket or the grocery store or whatever. Okay. I didn't know if there was like a nomenclature thing between the two. So either way, um, there is a line on outside where people can line up because they're only allowing so many people into the store to begin with. So you have to say you're like six feet apart. I think they're like 10 feet apart or whatever, just because you know, people are going to go back and forth. People are very good about staying. Like and when one person goes in, everyone kind of moves up one, except for the Nimrod who's on his fucking phone and not paying attention. No different than when you're stopped at a stoplight and you don't understand why no one's going at a green. Uh, 98% of the time, it's because that idiot's on their phone looking down and not paying attention to the road and what's going on. But that's fine. People are very good about waiting. But, like, I'm waiting in line to get in. I'm there for, like, 20 minutes or so. It's all fine. And then, like, one guy just tries to walk in out of nowhere. Like, there's th- that guy is always going to exist. Like, idiots yes. and bad people. But, you ke- but just because you remember them and that stuff stands out in your mind doesn't necessarily mean everyone's like that. You've overlooked the 90% of other people who are trying to do right because 10% of the people are trying to do wrong, that sticks out in your mind because you're not doing there. What the fuck is wrong with these people? That kind of thing. So I think the negative tends to be overrepresented in our minds, and then just we have a bias towards thinking everything's like that. Well, that is that is for sure a condition of being on Twitter. It's just like, because everyone on Twitter is miserable all the time. Like, it's, that's just true. It, it's worse now. I mean, yeah, like... Twitter's horrible right now. Although, although I've noticed over the last maybe week and a half or so, people are starting to get a little bit more, um, like not not open minded. But I, I think that the the position that we've talked about a little bit over the last couple of weeks, which is like um, that 
the the maybe more people are infected and the death rates are being overestimated like i think that position is starting to seem um uh, a little bit more a little bit more popular a little bit more tenable because even though americans are bad at math and science they are able to like roughly figure that out and we're in we've talked about this before that we're in a twitter bubble of people who not necessarily aren't we the dfs and gambling and even you can include poker into that because there's a lot of overlap um not a lot of similar values shared by a lot of people but a very similar train of thought when applying logic to things exists i feel like in this community a lot of it is like people tend to understand math better in this space than they would in most other spaces just very logically that most of the stuff that we cover or talk about is thought about through a logic lens or a mathematical lens that grasping concepts like this even if you're on other side of values or politics, that some of that stuff makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah. So, so because which is again really interesting because uh, in in gambling and in poker and in and and all of these spaces, you you do get a really interesting mix of the super right wing um, libertarian viewpoints because those people tend to really gravitate towards uh, towards gambling towards games of games of skill slash chance that reward, you know, intelligence with finance. And then also, you know, just for whatever reason, I think maybe just because Twitter is a pretty liberal format, you get a lot of the the bleeding heart liberals, such as myself, who are also interested in the exact same things. Uh, and, and it's, it's one, of, I think it's one of the only areas that I know of where those people are, oftentimes, you know, mixing, combining, talking about the exact same things, interested in, like, having the, the same interest. I, I would tend to agree with that. But I think that's actually somewhat healthy, to tell you the truth, that you have these dissenting voices from either side, but you have a, you speak the common language. Like, where you're coming from, while your background might be completely different, how you actually address a topic and think about a topic, whether you fall on the right or wrong side or the up or down side, that doesn't really make a difference. As long as you have a similar way of approaching how to think about an issue, you can actually have discourse with people that way. That's really where the gap is lost. Like a lot of people want to say, well, a Republican and a Democrat, they can't fight about anything anymore because someone goes in with their one side and that's the side that they're going to take. But it all depends on who you are. If you're a polarized person on either side, there's never going to be any sort of compromised to have but if you're somewhere like near the middle on either side like you can have a good discussion about things and maybe you can change someone's mind that's been the hardest thing is because a there's no right answer to any of this stuff you can say facts well these are the facts well i mean a lot of these are loose facts these days davis i'm not gonna lie to you facts facts tim anderson could have unlimited attempts in major league baseball he could have he could have thirty thousand plate appearances he'd never get one hit i just like i need i need this is like one of my big things is like anyone who says that they could get a hit off a major league pitcher is absolutely lying and it's just it irks me because there's like i there are guys that exist in the world that think this i think it's insane as well uh it's right we haven't even talked we're saving it we're gonna do a tim's worst take bracket and then do a show on it, and it's going to be amazing. So we're saving it for then. But, no, I'm with you. Like, the the overestimation of people's athletic ability and athletic prowess and how good they would be versus professionals is outrageous. And it just it, – it goes for absolutely everything. Like, the, the worst WNBA player would go to your gym and just – I mean, just own whoever the guys are that think they're the best. Like, uh, the, the, worst, the worst tennis player on the ATP – 
you literally, or even the minor league tennis, like you literally could not win a point off of them. And they're just for, for as long as professional sports have existed, there's been guys uh, drinking Coors lights on their couch who think that they could hang with them to some degree. Well, I, I think it depends on what it is. Cause I've heard like a lot, I know like the women's, canadian hockey team who's like the best in the world when they do their like pre-olympic practices they play against like peewee triple a bantam triple a like kids hockey like elite hockey teams and that's their practice so i i could see when it comes to, like men versus women's sports i've even heard things like you know, uh college college tennis players in the u.s like men's college tennis players like will go up and, like, they'll train against some of the high-end American women's players who are playing in, like, Wimbledon and things like that, and those are competitive matches. Yeah, I think um, I think that makes sense. I think that, that like, because the the physical advantages in tennis yes. are are huge, right? Because there there is a, even, like, there's just a massive difference in, like, serve speed and everything for men and women's tennis. So, like, that, I guess, I guess that sort of makes sense. But the, the overall point is that, those are elite men's college tennis players. Like guy, guy listening to this podcast on his couch uh, could not win a point off of Venus. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is because it's Tim who's like, we, we did the combine drills with Tim. He ran a 40 in 7.4 seconds. Like he lost to me by over two seconds in a 40 yard dash. Like that's not good to begin with. Um, so it's that level. Like, you could get up to like I'm a better athlete than Tim is, but I'm getting. I don't think I could get a hit in the majors. I really don't. <laughs> I don't think there is a professional sport in which I could record a statistic, right? So like, you, like there's there are certain things like could you hit an open three in a basketball game? I would say that people could do that. People could hit a free throw in a basketball game. Maybe not. At the you rate. you would you you could hit a free throw, but you would get like you would just get blocked, right? Like I think I think average guy even even sitting in the corner is very likely to get their shot blocked. Oh, I agree, but like that stuff isn't impossible kind of thing. Like I not that I think that getting a hit in like the majors would be impossible. Like but you would have had to play baseball, currently play baseball, like just going in as a zero and being like, "Well, they'll coach me up and I'll be able to do it." Like is just crazy talk. I think I think this is one of Tim's worst takes because it's just so far from being true. Like I, that is that is my opinion on it, is that it's just so far from representing reality that I just I cannot I cannot co-sign on this in the realm of logic at all. Do you think it beats his take that he could jump from space like that Red Bull guy? I I wasn't even I wasn't even privy to that take, but that that I, is that is collectively known as Tim's worst take of all time. That like not only it, do you do you know what I'm talking about the Red Bull jump from like outer yeah. Space? So he 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 like jumped he jumped from outer. Like, I mean I I just know that the guy jumped from uh like a like a spaceship right and had like some sort of advanced parachute. I remember it being on TV or whatever. Yeah, I think there was a Red Bull stream of it. But anyway, Tim's take was like that's easy and I could definitely do it. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, honestly, it was, it, was, it was our take that he would die on the way up. Well, I, I think he is more of a favorite to do that than he would be to hit, get a Major League Baseball hit, honestly. I, I think that jumping from space is, is, is the barrier here. I think that he is more likely to get a hit in the Major Leagues in 600 at-bats than he would surviving a space jump. 
it's just hard for me because like i don't know the math behind how any of that works like i don't know if if this guy is like a super specially trained athlete and the only reason he survived is because he has like insane lung capacity or something or if the suit was doing a lot of the work like i I don't even understand the logistics of how it works I, i don't either i assume jumping from space very tough that that'd be my guess yeah, I mean, I would, I would assume, but also hitting a fastball, very tough. But yeah, probably, probably jumping from space harder. It's not hitting the fastball that's tough. It's when you start changing speeds. Like if they, if a pitcher just threw a ninety-eight mile per hour fastball down the middle every time, you would get hits. But that's not how it actually works. Right? Yeah, they're they're throwing changeups. They're they're throwing curveballs, and you're just having to sit there and try and uh, look at it and be like, "What's going on?" Because I don't get it. Yeah, like what if the first time you stood in the box, the pitcher just fired at your head? I mean, you'd be shook for at least the next 100 play appearances. Agreed. agreed. That would be the move. Well, but but the, 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 the supposition was not, could I get on base? It was, could I get a hit? Yes. No, no, I agree. Yeah, like if it was OBP, maybe you get hit a few times. Maybe you can get on. Well, I mean, or It would still be can, way less think, than that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if it was, if someone bet me and gave me crazy odds, you have 600 plate appearances, could you get on base one time? I would say, yeah, I can. You know, by, by hook or by crook, I think I can get on once. Yeah, you might, you would probably walk, just naturally walk a few times that, because you're, you're a little guy, so your strike zone yeah, is Yeah, I'd have a very small, and, and I think that, you know, if, if someone's betting you crazy money on it, you you could lean into uh, like you stick stick your foot out and get your toe nicked by a curveball or whatever. Yeah, could you get on base more than ten times? Yeah, probably. no, no, probably. no way. I I think no way. I just think based on the randomness of balls and strikes that you could. Nay, because pitchers knowing that they're facing you because they're not treating you like you're a major league hitter. That yeah, probably, that because someone had actually made this point that the wild pitch rate and lack of control amongst pitchers would dictate that people should get on base around what Tim said he could hit as an average, like 0.05. So one, get on base once of every 20 times just through randomness. But you have to think that the pitchers aren't trying to throw 103 miles per hour or their max that their control would improve in this circumstance. It's a lot equated to like when a golfer clubs down at a shorter course, knowing that they need to hit the fairway. Well, they're not ripping their driver. They're hitting a two iron stinger. And it just, yeah, like, they, like, the guy, like they're the, the guy's going to throw, the guy's going to throw you a four seam fastball without taxing his shoulder. Basically that's his plan against, against Tim Anderson. Yeah. That would like, be it's just, it, sorry. I was getting a coffee. That would, uh, that would make the most sense. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that is, I think, I don't know. It's just, it, this because this is actually a very, I would say of all of the takes that people have of like, oh, I could do X, Y, and Z in a baseball, in, in a pro sport, they think they could get a hit in Major League Baseball. It's like the most common bad, one of the most common bad sports opinions to have. I would think that that's actually one of the hardest things to do in sports. That I mean, that's kind of what they say, right? Like, and they, the the pro athletes who have like tried to hit a baseball or whatever, they'd be like, no, trying to hit a fastball is like the hardest thing. Like Michael Jordan, everyone universally believes he's like the, one of the greatest athletes to ever live. And guy was like a 200 hitter in, in double A. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It's not like, but had he have trained for baseball his entire life, maybe that would be different. I don't know. 
you, you read you read range because I actually was having this argument with someone, and I I pointed out to them that in the the book range, basically the the wide amount of research says that um, super specialization is oftentimes unlikely uh, to help past a certain point, and that it's it's kind of just natural ability or or not. Sure, but you have to think that when Jordan went to go play baseball, what was he like twenty nine or thirty? That he hadn't been yeah, playing, his, that he had not been playing baseball for ten years. <laughs> yeah, his his uh his hand eye had definitely um, slowed down by but then. I, I, think. I wouldn't even say that. It's just you're not getting baseball reps, and you've conditioned your body and senses and coordination to be basketball, which is a totally different. It's coordination's coordination, but there's specialized coordination too. That if it had been sort of like Deion Sanders, where he was playing baseball during the season, then football during the season, that if he had just not played baseball for 10 years, and he's like, no, I'm going to go join the Braves now. If he was anything besides a stolen base specialist, like trying to get a hit would be near impossible. Right. Yeah, that's true. Which it makes it, it makes it even more impressive that there have been like legitimate two sport athletes. Like that's crazy. Yeah. So like someone like Russell Wilson, uh, I don't know how much baseball work he does anymore. Was he drafted by the Texas Rangers and like played like minor league baseball for the Texas Rangers? Let's uh, let's find out. Let's go. Let's go pull up his baseball reference page. I don't know if he actually ever played anything, but there, he used to like show up to spring training and like go through everything. I don't think he does that anymore, that he'd be far more likely to have been better at baseball and been competitive, you know, a year after that than even now. I'm not even talking about age attrition, just like being in the zone of, you know, getting better at baseball all the time. I didn't even know this, but Russell Wilson actually played one year in low A and one year in high A, 379 total uh, professional plate appearances in baseball. So it seems crazy to me. What did he hit? Uh, He hit 229 in his minor league baseball career. At single A and high A? Yeah. So, but, but, Cus, uh, but Cus is going to go to the majors and do 25% of that. Correct. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. It really, it's just, it's just amazing stuff. I don't know. Baseball just seems so hard to me, right? It, it seems like, uh, it just, it seems impossibly hard, like as impossibly hard as golf, basically. Well, it's strange because everyone always thinks of it at a very rudimentary level. Baseball and golf are the ones because they require so much coordination that you can go out and play baseball. That's fine. You can go out and play beer league softball with your friends and mimic not necessarily the hitting part of it but the throwing the catching tracking down a fly ball it's very easy to replicate like when you go out and play pickup basketball it resembles nothing like an nba game like no one in your game can dunk for one thing so that kind of takes a little the people you're playing with aren't seven feet tall but when you think about it in terms of baseball you don't equate it that way you think that this is close to what's actually going on it's the same with golf like People who have never seen a setup of a professional course or have seen a professional golfer actually play or played with one, or even someone who's just very, very good at golf. You go and hack with your friends. You're like, oh, I'm pretty good at golf. You know, I kick the ball out of the woods. I take a mulligan or two. I shoot 91. I, I'm all right. I mean, that, I'm describing myself there. So I play with right. a few like college guys who are fucking awesome. Like, they're not kicking the ball out of the woods. They're hitting every fairway. They're hitting every green. And they're not good enough to be professionals. And they are destroying me. And that's the way that you need to equate it. Like, everyone just thinks about it in terms of themselves. Like, oh, I'm pretty good at golf. I bet you I can make a cut on the PGA Tour. It's like, no, you can't. You shoot 190. <laughs> yes. So that is, that is again, another common one is that guys who 
you know, who can, who can routinely put out, you know, who shoot, who shoot 80 on their local course every once in a while. Like, Oh, you know, these guys aren't, these guys aren't that much better than me. And then you uh, like, and, and then like, you know, sometimes the, the web guys will come up and they just, you know, they, they're just so lost at some of these professional courses. And you're like, those guys would beat you by a stroke a hole basically. But when you go out and play golf at your course, it kind of looks like the golf that you see on TV. If that makes sense. Yeah. The, the actual activity is not all that much different. You're, you're just, you're, you know, kind of playing at the same pace. You're, you're kind of using the same clubs and it doesn't feel like that big of a stretch, but that's where that leap in, Oh, I'm better at this than I think I am is like, no one thinks that way about basketball. Like I said, cause your basketball game doesn't look like an NBA game. The only sport where I could see like, not necessarily like anyone coming off the street, but like to do well in playing it. Like there are guys you could pull off the street who are football players. And if they're huge, they could play offensive line if they had done that in the past. Cause we see that happen every single year. Hockey is the same way too. Like these guys wouldn't be good, but they wouldn't be like an embarrassment to throw them out. Like I would be an embarrassment if you threw me out, but there are guys that play like pick up hockey, especially in like Canadian towns. And I'm sure this exists in, I'm sure that there are guys that play like pickup baseball games in like Texas that probably could get hits in the majors. There are guys that play pickup hockey in Toronto that could play a few shifts in the NHL and it wouldn't be like crazy. I mean, we saw it, right? We saw the the Zamboni driver come in and play goalie. Yeah, but it's not like he had never played goalie before. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, right, exactly. Yeah, so it's a, it's that like because the the difference between you know, just like a normal, whatever skater guy out on the ice and a super elite hockey player, uh, one, it'd be endurance. And then two, it's just like a lot of really subtle stuff, right? Just that, that my brain could never even comprehend. So when I was 13, I want to say we, a new family moved to town and the guy was on my hockey team. His dad was our coach. Uh, and he had played, I want to say 22 games in the NHL between the Maple Leafs and the Canucks in like the early eighties or something like that. Like he was, he was not a professional. He was a professional hockey player. That's no longer what he did. Uh, he didn't last in the league very long, but you would see like when you're a kid, you see the adults and the adults are all good at stuff. Like when they're stick handling around, they're good. They'll take a few shots at the goalie to get him warmed up, whatever. This was the first guy I had ever encountered. Like he took a snapshot and it was forceful. Like there was a, big difference from seeing like my dad on the ice shooting a puck and seeing this guy shooting a puck this it's just a different game and if you play in one of like the high level type of pickup games or even like semi-pro something like that you'd see more that would to me would be the biggest difference so if you're a goalie going into the nhl versus a goalie who's never faced like that impact of shot before i think that would be the biggest difference it was like when i when i was when I played baseball before like my rotator cuff was gone and my labrum was still a part of my shoulder. Um, I played senior for a little bit. I got called up from junior to play senior in the senior league. You could only use wooden bats. I had never used a wooden bat before. I'd only use a composite or an aluminum bat, depending on the age that I was at. But I went up my first at bat. It wasn't like the speed of the pitches was one thing. They were faster. They had a bit more movement. I was a catcher, but you could still catch. That was fine. Like you just, you got adjusted to it going from like an, 
78 mile per hour fastball to an 87 mile per hour fastball is an adjustment that you can make pretty quickly once you know the bend on a guy's curveball or slider or the change up that breaks back to the outside you can pick that stuff up easy it's like it comes along with playing at that level but trying to hit from a wood i never used a wooden bat before in like a real game so not only is the speed of the pitches faster i'm now using a wooden bat like my hands basically shattered the first time i made contact like just getting over that part was the hardest part for me and that I think that's, again, that's the gap in the sports that people don't see unless they've experienced that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I can see that being true. Uh, I, I like, I think I, last time I probably played baseball, I would guess I was like, I don't know, 10. I played like, you know, beer league softball and stuff before, but, but I gave up on, I gave up on baseball early. Baseball's hard, man. Baseball's just too hard. Yeah, I played baseball until I was 18, and then my arm just completely gave out. From from what, like, overuse or just, like, like did you have a specific injury? Yeah, I had, I had a torn labrum, and I didn't realize at the time, and I tried to play through it. Uh, and my, just my throwing motion got all screwed up. Like, I was basically throwing with the top of my, like, right peck, <laughs> like, just, like, forcing the ball out. Like, I used to have a cannon to throw to, like, from home to second base, but like, I, I could barely even make it there by the end of my last season. I was like, I, I'm not going anywhere with baseball. I'm not very good uh, in terms of going to the next level. Like, there's no point of me playing this anymore. So then I, I stopped playing baseball, like, full stop for four or five years. And then I ended up just playing, like, beer league softball. And my, my arm had returned to full strength just from not using it anymore. Yeah. Uh, so... Well, I guess people know a lot more about our careers as amateur athletes now. Yeah, not good. That's why we uh, talk about sports, not play sports. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> have, have you always liked sports? Like, did you like sports even when you were a kid? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I didn't grow up, like, living with my dad. So I was with him, like, every third weekend or so. And the only thing that we really have in common, even to this day that we really have in common, is sports. Like, he taught me sports. Oh, same. Yeah. Like, here's how you read a box score. Here's how you throw a baseball. Like, that's what I did with my dad. Uh, outside of that nothing <laughs> right yeah so like i um i liked sports a lot when i was a kid like ages like 6 to 12 and then i got really into like drugs and skateboarding and and stuff for a long time and i stopped following sports stopped being super interested in sports for i don't know 8 years or so and then got really back into it again in kind of kind of like the end of high school beginning of college so there was like there's definitely like a five-year gap right like don't know anything that happened in sports yeah so is that like a part of like sobering up like is sports sort of like an outlet because i know a lot of people say you can tell like ex-alcoholics a lot because they're really committed to working long hours they work really hard because with downtime all of a sudden they're back drinking kind of thing they throw them in they throw themselves into something to fill that void. Like that's a part of overcoming that disease. Do you think that's what sports ended up doing for you? No, I just really threw myself into smoking cigarettes a lot when I quit drinking and doing drugs. But I, I, I also don't think of myself as like a, like a backbreaking hard worker. I just think I, I am, I'm like just really mentally, uh, strong like when i make decisions to do something i just do it i i think there is a little bit of overlap there though for sure in terms of not doing drugs anymore and getting in more into sports yeah i can see that just the focus on something yeah just to have just to have something to like care about or think about 
yeah that that is that's true for sure i think yeah because i i mean i guess when you don't drink uh, i've been drinking like my wife is pregnant so whenever she's pregnant i don't really drink all that much because it, it's really weird to sit at home and like drink by yourself with a sober person sitting next to you that's just strange my and my girlfriend has the same complaint she's like what's the point what why would i even like we have like bottles of wine and stuff and she's like what what am i gonna do i'm gonna get wine drunk but for dinner by myself yeah and then you stop like then that gets exit i actually had uh we we did uh you know how everyone's kind of doing like either the zoom calls or house party and just like having a few drinks over that so I did that the other night with a, we had a bottle of wine at the house. I had like two glasses of wine. I was fucking shit faced. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, tolerance, tolerance has got to be way down across the board. I wonder how, I wonder it, it's either relative way, to, it's, it's either way up or way down or way down. On, or yeah. Depending on who you are. Well, I was just wondering, so like relative to everything else, right? Cause, cause everything is dipped overall, right? The market, people are just spending less money, buying fewer things. I wonder how alcohol relative to the rest of the market is doing. I don't know because I asked my friend who's in food services because I was like, what's I know the restaurant industry is hurting right now in terms of sales. But are there places that are making out better as they found out being a delivery service because they're not paying employees like servers or anything like that? But I guess in the States, servers don't make minimum wage, do they? It's like they make like a dollar an hour plus. They, they literally make pennies, dude. It's horrible. Well, I mean, they make tips. That's what they make. Yeah, uh, it's just, I mean, you know, leaving yourself open to the kindness of strangers, uh, probably sure, not that, always the best. No, and like in different cultures, like there's not a, like, you, know, you go to Australia, you don't tip there. That was the weirdest thing going through Europe, figuring out which countries you could tip in, which countries you didn't tip in. Turns out it's mostly, they, you don't tip. They pay them like a decent enough wage that... Yeah, they just pay a living wage. It's a novel idea. Here in Canada, all servers make minimum wage plus tips. So... Maybe it's not that big of an expense, but if you're not running the lights, you're not running everything. Is there anything, are there any restaurants that are making out better because of this? Maybe they changed their business plan. He was a quick, no, they are not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just getting people in the door, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, I, I got to assume, I got to assume it's, uh, it's, it's not great. No, because it would be the money that is made by the restaurants is probably people buying bottles. It's not necessarily the food that they're making this anything off of it's like when you go to the movies it's not the movie ticket that's you know paying to keep the lights on it's the concessions and i would think that like alcohol is that move for restaurants yeah i mean so like that's uh that's a big thing is like you know uh wine you know wine is a big thing that like nice restaurants profit off of because you know they buy hundred dollar bottles of wine and sell it for twelve hundred dollars like the alcohol markup is insane at these nice restaurants well they they've the city has now released an ordinance here that they can places can deliver you alcohol like along with orders. So I ordered out the other night. That's where I got the bottle of wine from that. I think I bought like a I think it ended up being like a $70 bottle of wine that they charged me. I was like, that's like, I know this is not a good bottle of wine, but I bought it anyway just because I didn't want to go to the liquor store and like go out kind of thing. It's like, yeah, bring it to me. Bring it with the food. We're good. And like, I think I looked it up afterwards and it was like a $13 bottle of wine at the liquor store. <laughs> so, so not ideal. A, that, that's a, but that's a markup you can get away with right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, people are definitely more willing to, uh, to accept that right now uh i mean i don't know like i guess kind of whatever i'm i'm cool right now paying extra for some of these local restaurants because we're definitely at least in the states we are definitely heading for a scenario where like local non-chain non-franchise restaurants you know if this goes on for another 
two, three months. Like we're talking about like basically an extinct species in the United States. What is the, I, I stopped, like I stopped watching, like you said that social media is overly negative. I've basically been non-existent. I'll pop into to Twitter every now and then, but for the most part, I'm staying away from it. I feel like I'm a happier person because of it. And maybe I, I know less, but do I really know less? Because most of the stuff on there is just nonsense anyway. Just people fighting with each other and arguing and twisting facts to support whatever they're talking about. So I just kind of stay away from it. I'll watch the news every now and then. That's about it. Look at some raw data on stuff. But social media in general. But what's the uh, like stimulus package for people? Like what, What's unemployment in the States now? Like, is it every two weeks you get X amount? Is it that one-time thing? Like, I, I kind of miss that. So as far as I understand, the current stimulus package for citizens of the United States is a one-time $1,200 payment with $500 additional dollars per child. Okay. Um, their government seems to be having trouble figuring out how to get that to people. Uh, especially like, you know, obviously vulnerable populations. A lot of these people don't have bank accounts. Um, you know, probably some of them don't have cell phones, you know, just, uh, it's just, uh, kind of a, kind of a, a nightmare for those people. And then as, as I understand it as well, I think that unemployment benefits have been, uh, buffered, they're not buffered is not the right words. The opposite of buffered. They've been, uh, they've been improved. So uh, um, unemployment benefits, uh, it's like, it's like extra money relative to what they used to be. So again, I, I don't know if you're being fake news or not, but you know more about it than I do. So I'm going to, I'm going to trust you on this one. Well, I, I don't, I do not know that this is 100% factual. This is my understanding of it based on the information that I have read and heard, but this, what I am saying could not be actually true. So as as it sounds, what you're saying is that there's like a one-time payment for everyone for 1200 bucks. But if you're on unemployment, you're still on unemployment. That's been beefed up a little bit. That is, yeah. As far as, as far as I get it, uh, unemployment, there's a little bit more money diverted and available for that there. And those, that one-time payment for people who make less than, uh, I think a hundred thousand dollars a year is, is still up for grabs. Okay. That doesn't seem horrible. I mean, it's not, it's not optimal by any means, but it doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. So I think the objections to this are pretty easy to understand, which is just, okay, yeah, that's happening. But, you know, all these companies are getting, uh, you know, trillions of dollars, multiple trillions of dollars. So I understand viscerally why, why someone would have, you know, a visceral reaction to that of just like, oh, I'm getting $1,200 checks, but this cruise line is going to get $50 billion and they're going to do stock buybacks and so on and so forth. Um, and then, and then the, the biggest issue is just getting it to the people. Like that is the, the biggest issue is that there just is not really a great infrastructure to get this money to the people. I did want to do a thing with you this week. We need to do some sort of bet. And if you lose the bet, I don't know what the bet might be. It might not even be with me. It could be with someone else. But if you lose, you have to change your Twitter avatar to you wearing late 90s Oakley's glasses in a truck with a, the thing up selfie. I don't even – where is – I mean, I guess I could – I guess I'd be interested in that. What's the upside, though? What do I win if I uh, win this bet? I, I don't know. I just want to see you. you. You know the picture that I'm talking about, right? No. Like a uh, racist, racist bot on Twitter. Like the, the shot of people. Oh, 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Like just like, like, uh, like dog, like dog avatar, Twitter, like truck Oakley. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So you, you'd have to change your avatar to that. I think that, would, I, I don't know what, what the context is. I just think that would be funny. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, the next time we, next time we have a good wager, I'll, I'll keep that one in mind. I got to think about something with, you know, a symmetrical level of upside. All right. What else do I have here? Um, I have a son. I'm about to have another son uh, in the next six weeks, which is terrifying. But you don't have kids. But people who do have kids are homeschooling them at the moment. If it yeah. was me. And I guess it depends on how old or young. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter about the age. I guess there are certain things that you can do virtual classes and teachers are handing out homework. This is what I base it off of when I talk to my friends who have older kids. I would think just kind of say, fuck that. That if you're going to do good parenting right now at home, and I, I'd be curious to hear from people of what they're doing with their kids, that playing games, playing trivia, games that have probability attached to them, just interacting with your kids that way, probably more valuable than whatever they're learning in the third grade. Uh, so I, you know, again, I don't have kids. I have I have stupid dogs who are just like the light of my life right now. <laughs> Uh, I would be, I would be, I, I could not agree with you more. So like, uh, play Scrabble with your kids, yeah, um, play, po- play poker with your kids, play risk. Um, definitely finding any kind of way to gamify learning. I would also, I would do rewards based on reading. This is something my, my, my parents, very interesting people. We're not the best parents in the world, but something they did do for me and my siblings that worked was they, uh, like had a reward structure for reading. So like if, if, you know, books we'd read difficulty of the books accounted for length of the books accounted for so on and so forth. And we'd get, um, like our allowances and stuff doled out based on that. And that was something that worked, uh, for me and my brothers and sisters. Well, did it work? Didn't you end up doing like an English degree? Yeah. I mean, but I'm not a dumbass though. Right. Like I'm, I, you can, people can say whatever they'd like about me, but categorically I am not like actually stupid. I believe you. Thank you, Pat. You're welcome. Yeah. I, I, was I did. Thinking- I did get an, I did get an English. None of my siblings got an English degree though. Only me. Are you the youngest, the oldest? How does that work? I'm the oldest. Oh, you're the oldest. Okay. Yeah. I'm the oldest. I'm the only one. I think it's not difficult to figure out that I'm an only child. Yeah, it, it definitely. You definitely have some only child syndrome. I, I kind of have some I only have child the, stuff I have too. The, I have the confidence of an only child. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, hey, confidence is. Uh, if you have if you have confidence in life, very few other things matter. If you if you're confident enough to say you're not stupid on a podcast where a lot of people are going to tweet at me and tell me I'm stupid, that's pre- that's pretty confident. Yeah. So the the homeschooling thing, like I, I do feel there's only so much I can remember about my, I have a very, I have a really good memory slash really bad memory at the same time. Uh, now that I'm older, I can only remember so much. So I'm losing pieces of my memory to insert new pieces of information that I need. Like when it comes to football stuff, I stuff comes in and I need to remember that for like two weeks because the numbers change at all times. Like yeah. it's, it's almost like you're throwing like, after week three of the football season, I can tell you almost basically from memory what every player has done in every game. Offensive player, number of touches, percentage of, of snaps played, yardage, touches per game, fantasy points per route run. Like, I'll just commit all that to memory because I'm talking about it on the show all the time. This is what I'm doing for my research. But by week eight, I no longer remember that. I only remember what happened like week seven and week eight. <laughs> so 
the stuff that I remember from like my childhood, obviously like learning how to read fundamentals, stuff like that. The stuff that I do remember, and I guess I to my dad taught me sports and I used to play a lot of board games with him is like board game strategy. Here's why you do this sort of stuff. Here's why you would try to make this calculated risk move because I have three dice. You have two dice. The odds of you rolling six, six, six kind of thing. Like teaching that kind of stuff to me is like an eight year old. I feel like that stuff actually stuck with me versus I don't know how wide Jupiter is. (laughs) Right. Which is not even like, that important like yes in your life assuming that we don't have huge changes in education as a result of COVID-19 you know learning to commit and regurgitate information is important but long-term life skills like this would actually be uh, this would be an amazing time if you had children who were like old enough to understand like middle school high school kids to like teach your kids about like how money works and like why why keeping money in cash is bad and like why your financial incentives do not align with financial incentives of other groups of people. Well, you could say at this moment that having a bunch of money in cash might not be the end of the world. I mean, yes. So it's like very specifically for the last six months, every decision you had was to get to cash. Yes. But uh, even, even if right now you feel, you feel wrecked, your 401k got wrecked, uh, 10 I, I, years from do, now do most people have a 401k because i would feel like they do not most people don't own stocks right no like what i don't know 20 percent of people maybe have enough money to own stocks yeah so this doesn't even apply to most people but it doesn't apply to most people because people don't learn it's like in american high schools you're you're like not even taught about inflation you like don't even learn about like what the federal reserve can do to your money like it's it's absurd I forget what class I took, and maybe I took economics in high school, but, like, the only thing I remember from that is just COLA, the cost of living adjustment. I just remember learning about that. It's the only thing I remember from that class. I'm sure that there are – because I took economics in university, too. So I remember it from that, but, like, from the actual high school part of the class, it's the only only term or thing I can actually remember hearing. <laughs> yeah, which is, it's, which is crazy, though, right? Because, like, what, what is going to impact your life – more than monetary policy like almost nothing the government does is going to impact the outcome of your life more than their monetary policy i mean they can restrict your freedoms by locking you in your house and telling you can't go nowhere that i mean so that 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 i guess you're right i can't argue with that they though though i think people are mostly not locked in their houses right now i think it's mostly voluntary in the states yeah i think that's mainly across the board i think that more people are doing it uh, this comes back to that negative reinforcement thing where you only remember the shitty stuff and don't remember the good stuff that I think that most people in it, it seems like I said, it seems to be city by city, state by state. But the places that are doing it seem to be doing it in bunches. And the only negative stuff you hear about, like the, you know, you hear about the idiots that are out. You don't hear about the people that are staying in their houses, but it feels like yes, more people are yeah, staying you- in their houses than not. I think it's probably my guess based on the information that I have ascertained is that it's about 50 50 of people who are staying in their house, people who are taking it seriously. But that, that that's maybe, it, but maybe that, it's like 60 40 now. I, I would say it's like 80 20, depending on where you're at. But like if you go to a place that's not like super into what's going on right now and social distancing and everything, it's probably the opposite. It's probably like 80 20 the other way. <laughs> I wonder. So, I wonder what the correlation is between like cities and towns, right? Like I wonder like what, like, you know, towns of, of 
5,000 people in, in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Missouri are, are like relative to like St. Louis. Like, I, I don't know. I would assume that there is much more freedom of movement and whatnot in those smaller towns. And there probably should be more freedom of movement in those small towns. Cause how many people are you actually going to interact with day to day? Like if you just practiced like relative marginal social distancing in a small town that let's say had 5,000 people, you have to think how many people do you actually interact with per day? How many places do you actually go that if you're not like bumping up against people, these are not like, if you go to like, if I go to the grocery store by my house, I live in a horribly populated area that the chances of more people going in and out of that grocery store that I go to my local is probably higher than the one place in a 5,000 person town that it's still yes. more dangerous for me based on that population size that if you just remained four feet away from anyone, like stuff is not hectic at all times. Like the places you go aren't completely full at all times. If you just did business as usual and even put in a little bit of social distancing, I don't think very many people would get it. Yeah. I mean, so my, my grandma told me that the first person died of coronavirus in my hometown, which is about 50,000 people just this last week. So, and, and this is like, we're talking about very, very far away from any sort of, uh, you know, COVID-19 outbreak place. So like, I, I think it's officially everywhere, at least I, I could feel confident saying. Do you think, cause a lot of people are going to look at like the, it does seem like the numbers are starting to flatten. Like at least like deaths per day are the same cases, new <laughs> cases per day are the same, but I think a lot of people, and I, I don't know how to read the numbers properly, but a lot of this has to be based on testing. And that that's the part that I don't think that people are grasping. Like, yeah, you can test a bunch of people, but if one day tests are down and the next day the tests are up and they show you the same results, well, that's not good. <laughs> Which is, again, to my understanding, I think we are getting a lot of that. Um, one, one thing, though, you know, because I don't, I, don't like I don't like to come on these podcasts and be super negative. I think one positive sign we have is the recovery rate in the United States has actually been pretty solid. So as of right now, we are sitting here, it's, it's 439 central time on Saturday, April 11th per worldmeters.info slash coronavirus, which tends to be the database that most people are treating as, you know, the, the real numbers. There are um, about, about half a million cases of coronavirus in the United States um, there have been 20,000 deaths, and we are now up to almost 30,000 recoveries. So that recovery rate um, is 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 solid, right? Is is better than uh, expected, mostly, I think. Yeah, I, that, I mean that's always positive news. I worry about. I don't worry about it as much up here because it seems like each province is been pretty uniform in how they're dealing with this. Some more stringent than others, but everyone's pretty pretty much not necessarily on lockdown, but observing the new social norms kind of thing but in the states it just seems like everywhere is so different that even when it comes to testing that you're gonna see even if let's say by the end of next week that you know cases are going down everything's looking good it feels like people will celebrate too early on this and there'll be an outbreak in places where they're not testing so much like why is louisiana so bad is that because mardi gras happened and no one gave a shit my guess is just that people did not take it as seriously there for whatever. And it's, it's a, a part of the country where 
people are, you know, you, be Mardi Gras, but they're just used to being outside and interacting and mingling a lot. I, that would be my guess. I, so what you just said is a really interesting point. And I listened to a podcast. I've talked about it on the show um, a ton before, and I've actually had one of the co-hosts of it before on uh, the take cast, but it's called uh, coin talk show. It's by Aaron Lammer and, and Jay Kang. Everyone should go follow them on Twitter read their stuff, listen to their podcast. But they brought up this idea on their show this last week of California just leaving and becoming its own nation, basically. And I just, I was very um, interested in that idea because I, I think that because of how fractured some of this stuff is with the way that the United States is responding to stuff, I actually think that it's more of a reality now than it has ever been before i don't know the logistics like how do you even go about doing that like i know i mean literally quebec has tried to separate from canada like twice they they, yeah it's a it's a huge part of uh of infinite jest what uh the the quebecois independence movement it was like it's like a whole huge subplot in infinite jest yeah I mean, I told you I can't read, and I think if I was going to dive into reading, Infinite Jest would not be my starting point. I kind of wish I, I wish that I could go back to my younger self and say, wait, wait to read this book until you're literally in self isolation on purpose, because I could have I could have just done it. I could have read it in like two weeks instead of like two months. Do you worry that the telecommunications industry is putting up these five G towers, and that's what's really causing coronavirus? <laughs> no is that a, is that a theory yeah it's like yeah, well everything every like weird conspiracy thing i th- i see starts i see it first from tommy but now like there's crazy people on my facebook timeline like people like we've talked about facebook timelines how they're just kind of like people you know randomly throughout the course of your life it's now seeping over to that and the only people that are like posting it like you sheep don't know what's going on this is the real truth and it's like the craziest people i know <laughs> I mean, the, 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 a global pandemic is, it's just, it's absolutely perfect for, for conspiracy theories, right? Especially because this is probably like an all time level of, you know, people not trusting people in power. I, I don't disagree that trusting the people in power is probably the right idea. Like they're, but of course, there's always people in power that they're going to have to lie to you. That's part of the job that I think that people really kind of twist in their minds. But I, I don't think that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this, Davis, but I don't think that 5G towers are not only pumping coronavirus in as a secret plot to get us vaccinated so they can put tracking devices in us. That, I, me personally, I don't think that's happening. No, I think the the funniest coronavirus theory is that... Um it's built bill gates knew bill gates knows about this and it's it's done to get us a vaccine that can sterilize us where do these start from you know i mean just like well first of all conspiracy theories are great for grifters because it doesn't have to be true and you can just continually move the goalposts and and you just keep you keep printing you you sell books you get clicks and uh, they, so, so this has just been great for Clay Travis, you know, who is, uh, you know, I, I, his job is to talk about SEC college football, but his website has been getting so many clicks with this coronavirus true thing that he just has really embraced it. And he doesn't care, right? Like Clay Travis does not care about how many people tell him how stupid and wrong he is as long as the clicks are coming. 
Yeah, if you had like, I, I don't even know what like his take on this entire thing is, and I, I don't really no, care. It's, to know. it's over. It's overblown. It's not real. Hey, it's so just it's, the flu. It's oh, just the flu. We're we're still just on the flu. That. But 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 he still maintains it's just the flu. Well, I mean, I understand that point of view. That if you just compare it to the flu, I think that makes sense. Like that's the same sort of like influenza that people are seeing. The difference is we're vaccinated against the flu. We're not to this. Yeah, there's no herd immunity to this at all. And hospitals um, are not ready for uh, even if, you know, if you sent if if you sent uh, 10% of your town's population to your hospital right now with the flu, they wouldn't be ready to handle that either. Yeah, so I don't. So I guess that's a very interesting take on it. Like if he continues to propagate that, he can point to the numbers of how many people die of the flu each year. You can say it's kind of the same, although it's not that you can continue to say things like that without sounding completely wrong based on like you can come up with facts to support your opinion. It's just the rudimentary argument that you're making is fundamentally wrong. Yeah, which is I don't know. It's like uh it is it is always just fascinating to me to see how people uh manipulate and mishandle data uh just overall like i just think it's interesting it's funny like i see this happen to math people a lot like i was i don't want to say the person is in my life that i was arguing with this but their math is really good they can like ability to project things relative of context is one thing but once we have context for something that has to change the numbers and i get that it's a variable that you can't account for but you can't pretend like it also doesn't exist at the same time that that i find that's the hard part when dealing with like pure pure math people and they'll tell you well the variance is the variance like uh, we can't account for that therefore it doesn't matter but we know in reality it does matter even if you can't account for it you have to open up your ranges of outcomes even if you don't want to. And I, I feel like math people have a hard time mixing in reality to a lot of this stuff. Yeah, because, well, so math people have a hard time. What, what I think what you're actually saying is that math people, people who work really in models and in data sets have a hard time with tail risks, which, is, which are events that are basically unmodelable. Well, it's even something to kind of dive back into like football analytics. Football analytics are good. Advanced modeling is good. There's a lot of stuff that that can tell you. The thing that is the most difficult to figure out is that you can't really run a simulation and project things out when you have 11 people on one side of a ball doing one thing versus 11 individual like 11 individuals on one side versus 11 individuals on the other side and trying to create optimal outcomes for that one play and think you can actually project that. You can't. What if someone falls down? But what happens then? What, what if, if someone falls down? The, 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 what, what, the, if, what, uh, what if the offensive guard thinks that the play is something different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are, all, those are all arguments that people who have problems with football modeling make. But, but, I, but I, don't, I don't know how I feel about it either way. I just think that football was the most difficult of these sports. Like in baseball, it's pretty easy. Yeah, the pitcher can throw different things, but you have like your three possible outcomes. It's a pitcher versus a batter. And then you can put that ball in play, you can strike out, and that's kind of it. You get the ball out of the park. Like it's, I think that analytics and projections and that kind of thing works better in different sports. I think that the projections for football are super valuable because they tell you things that you just don't see. And that is inherently valuable when trying to construct game plans. But I, I am more like, listen, we both work in 
basically football analytics and like trying to project stuff out. I believe in this stuff, but I think that analytics people overrate the impact of analytics in football because the people on the other side like don't give them any credence whatsoever that it almost becomes like a left versus right type issue where the most polarized people are just flat out wrong about what they're saying. And it's somewhere a bit more near the middle that uh, could you run a team, a football team, an NFL team based solely on analytics? I don't think that you could. You would need to have some sort of either eye test or meeting the people personality-wise to know that they mix together. Like There is an aspect of it to that that requires expertise. But only going on that, we know, is not going to be a good idea either. I don't know if I've articulated that well at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean that is true for even baseball, which is the most analytics-heavy uh, you know, just the, the most analytics heavy of all sports that is true in baseball because you, um, you like, like teaching guys how to do certain skills, you know, pitching, hitting, whatever, like numbers guys can't do that. Like guys who like you, an analytics guy can say, you need to throw your sinker less. You need to throw your change up more. But then, you know, we also get these great examples of these pitching coaches who are like, actually, if you do this with your sinker, it's going to be more effective because of X, Y, and Z. So like, yeah, for, for all of these multi-billion dollar franchises, you for sure got to have both. Yeah, but I think in baseball, you can lean far more on advanced statistics in analytics in trying to project out like someone's baseline or someone's future than you could in football. Yeah, for, for projecting, that is definitely true. Like, it's something in football, even to the extent of we need a left guard who has a very fast first four steps. He doesn't need to be, like, his 40 time could be, like, 5.2. But his first four steps need to be super fast. Because if you're pulling him, like, if he's a left guard and you pull him to the right tackle, he needs to have the foot speed to get out there before the running backs to be that lead blocker. He could be the fact, he could run a 4-5, but his first four steps are slow based on where he gets to by yard 20, that guy is useless for our team. And I feel like that's something that you would actually need to see because not only then would you need to measure it in terms of like, what, why would you be measuring that? That's stuff that people don't measure. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, so I think those are examples of things that football analytics can do well, that people would also argue that, you could you could learn that from watching the tape if you watch the tape more no, though too. Yeah, no, but I'm saying that that is that I would say that's more of a tape argument than it would be an analytics argument. Just because people don't measure that type of thing, you actually need to see that in game action. Like you can measure that at a combine, no problem. But if you you gotta, don't, you gotta watch you gotta watch the dots, Pat. Don't you watch the dots? <laughs> like okay, so like if you do like the three cone drill at the combine, like that's I, I just. The combine to me is so fascinating because it doesn't mimic gameplay at all that I don't understand what it's supposed to measure. I mean, I think it, the the way I understand it is that it's just supposed to measure thresholds. Like if you are below this slow, if you are below this strong, if you are below this X, Y, and Z, you're just very unlikely to be an NFL player. Sure. Okay, maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe there's a baseline, there's a minimum that you need to be above. But let's say you're one of these test freaks but every time you play against press coverage, you get rattled, and all of a sudden you're at seventy percent of what like your optimal is. Then then you're no good. But you would need to watch game film to know that instead of just looking at the combine. Yeah, which is why there are guys who crush the combine who suck in the NFL, right? Like there there are always going to be Corey Davises and Corey Coleman's and stuff who crush and are even good in college, even put up stats in college. But you know they just never became refined enough at what NFL teams were asking them to do. 
Yeah, so in terms of NFL franchises, I, I mean, this is no secret, but like finding finding film scouts who embrace analytics, it feels like those are the teams that are going to be way ahead over the next five, ten years. And that, that's not breaking news from anyone, but just as a general comment, because you see so many teams not do any of this stuff. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are there are teams like the Chargers, Feinberg Chargers, that that literally, as recent as a year ago, just didn't have an analytics department, didn't have one guy whose job was to do analytics. Yeah, and then football people get their backs up against the wall that there are analytics departments, but having an analytics department and then having a coaching and scouting staff which can interpret those analytics into real life. I mean that that's that's the supply chain that you want. Correct. Yes. Uh, which is just, it, you know, it's hard because, because a lot of the t- sometimes, you know, the GMs, they don't want to buy in either. So like the people who are making the departmental decisions, like, you know, if that person doesn't buy in, if that person's not interested, then, you know, what are you supposed to do? But I mean, that goes back a long way to how football organizations and teams are structured to begin with. They're the most, mil- it's basically like the military. If you have a breakdown and yes. command somewhere, like you're fucked. Yeah, it is. It is the the NFL is is more militaristic than any other major sports league for sure. And that would almost go back to again to leaning towards like your traditional scouts or film guys. Like this this guy analytically could be off the charts, but he doesn't fucking listen to anything. You can't have him on your team. <laughs> I mean, that is that is certainly something that is a common complaint amongst uh, football coaches for sure. That is like that is a reason that guys are that it is it is given when guys you know don't pan out when they they do not become successful. Yeah, and you would rather have the twenty percent left less gifted guy on your team if he knew every play and didn't jump offside, never missed a blocking assignment. That you would take the downgrade in quality of talent to make sure like optimally like you want everyone doing exactly the same thing in unison working when you drop a play if everyone on the x's and o's board can do the positive thing on your side you're going to win (laughs) i think i think me as a as a non-football guy it's like i'm just like no i'd rather have the better player right But, but you but you see but i feel like that's the problem with analytics like twitter and analytics people in general is that they would agree like i'd just rather have the better player and maybe at some positions that would work out better. But if they're not on the same page, like if a receiver isn't on the same page as the quarterback, like relative of context, they can be as talented as they want that, you know, if they're not in the right place, how the fuck is the quarterback going to know to throw to them? Yeah. But what do you do with a a bad wide receiver? They just, they're not open to begin with. So they're not even going to get the throw. I think that's why, I think that's why, um, uh, a lot of a lot of wide receivers, you know, do seem to have uh, different kind of uh, attitudes than a lot of the other positions because oftentimes those guys can get away with being, you know, not that military mindset. I mean, maybe that's the position where you can, and maybe there are a few positions like that. But imagine, like, people like to just shit talk quarterbacks all the time. Imagine having a quarterback that like didn't know the playbook. <laughs> Like how fucked you? I, uh, that that was uh, that was Jamarcus Russell, right? They 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 basically he showed up to the facility one off season and and just had not read or and done anything with the playbook, had not studied the playbook at all. So maybe receiver is a bad example of this. Maybe you would want to have the best baseline receiver in terms of talent, but even something like as a center, would you take? Yeah, I think offensive line. You just you have to be. That guy, I, I don't think offensive line just works on talent. I think that is almost entirely, you know, t- tandem based. Yeah, and when you get the rare person that 
rates off the charts in terms of talent and upside and strength mixed with the ability to understand everything that's going on to, you know, being able to just even being able to process audibles quickly on the offensive line that we're doing this and being in tandem with everyone else. Then you get Hall of Fame players. Right. Yeah. It's 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 when it's when the 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 you know, A plus athleticism mixes with, you know, the, the A plus brain, which is like, that's like, um, you know, that's like uh, Mahomes, right? Like a quarterback, like he has the, he's, he's quick enough. He's fast enough. He's athletic enough. Um, and he, he understands the playbook. He's good at all that, but he also just has like that magic, like that Farvian element of just like being able to pull stuff out of nowhere that, you know, is not drawn up. Yeah. Like once stuff breaks down, what can you do then? Right. So like Derek Carr is useless when, when the pocket breaks down, like he, Derek Carr is not making plays at that point. And Derek Carr is probably a quarterback who you would say is like, that guy gets the playbook. Uh, That guy probably, he's probably as good of a soldier as you're going to find in terms of like, yes, coach, yes, sir, you know, whatever. But like, just that guy can only take you so far. Yeah. I mean, that could take you to a Super Bowl. Like a Derek Carr style quarterback could win a Super Bowl with a great defense, like be a Trent Dilfer prototype because he's better than Trent Dilfer. When is the, when is the last time uh, a just okay quarterback won a Super Bowl? Uh, Tom Brady. Manning's final season. Manning, Tom Brady, and the last time they won? I guess Brady was yeah, a bit better I mean, than that that year. Peyton Manning is probably the answer, yes. Yeah, Manning. So I think let's let's uh let's go here. Super Bowl winners. Nick, Nick Foles. <laughs> so I think so I think the interesting thing with Foles is like he is the reverse Derek Carr in the sense of like when Foles is like spinning it, he's actually really like good. Like I, I would argue that Foles' A game is actually really good. He just plays a super high variance style that leads to like he'll have like five interception games too because he he kind of is like he's kind of Jameis in actually like that yeah potentially but they i don't know yeah yes upside wise you're right i mean brady beating the rams 10 to 3 like golf was kind of yeah, like yeah yeah that was so that that was just a horrible game but yes both of those quarterbacks were super average uh i think Foles was great that year Ryan and Brady were both really good in 2017. But, but when I say like game manager, like these guys still need be like Derek Carr can make throws downfield. Like Eli is kind of like the perfect example. It's like Eli was a good quarterback, but like he had his the years that they weren't good. He had a ton of interceptions. The year that they won the two years they won the Super Bowl, they had a good defense, a good defensive line, and he did just enough. And he was able to create you know the greatest play out of the pocket of all time, basically. But generally speaking, that's not what he did. <laughs> Yes. So Eli, Eli kind of, kind of falls in actually, right? Like just in the sense of like, he would do enough and his bad games were so horribly, like almost unbelievably bad, but because he was willing to take shots that oftentimes would put his team in positions to like run hot basically. So like the perfect example though, like where Derek Carr could be a Super Bowl champion. Like if Carr was the quarterback, of the 06 Bears when they got beat in the Super Bowl with Rex Yeah, Grossman the gr- the Grossman season. Yeah, like if they if they just had a competent quarterback cuz Rex Grossman was like the homeless version of Foles. Subcompetent. Yeah. But like he had like one or two games a year where he looked fucking awesome. <laughs> and then the rest of the games was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, Grossman Grossman um so he was like he was kind of like early 
Cutler, Jameis level, but he had absolutely just like no wide receivers. Like those those Bears offenses were just bad. And he didn't have the offensive upside. He had all the downside of the guys you just talked about, but when he hit his peak, he did not hit his peak quite as consistently. Correct. Yeah, that that is that's definitely true. All right, I think that that's all I got this week. You got anything? Yeah, else? once once we got to Rex, Rex Grossman, I think that was time. Yeah, good chat. Good stuff, man. All right, uh, what do you got? What do you got coming out on the Takecast this week? I got Emery Hunt from the Athletic doing a scouting breakdown of a lot of guys in the draft. I have, a, I might do a new Monday show with Cust and Jeff. We actually recorded that one already before I recorded this. Uh, so that's coming out on Monday. Raza and Rick were talking about the new PGA schedule that's coming out this week, and I recorded that game show I talked about last week. How did the how did the game show go? Was it was it fun? Did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed doing it. I think everyone enjoyed being on it. I have to go. Like I I haven't edited it yet, and I'm gonna go take a look at the raw footage, kind of splice it together. We learned a lot from doing the like a pilot episode. Uh, I'm sure I'll end up releasing it because I don't like to let content go to waste. But this one will be by far the worst out of all of them. Interesting, interesting. Well. Um... All right, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what we have coming up this week. Uh, I I, def, I don't schedule things out near as near as much as you do. We're just uh, we're just trying to do as much quarantine content for the people as we can. And so when uh, when my buddies are available, we do it, and when they're not, we don't. Yeah, I got shows every day, so I got I got time to fill. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I I do not have to do that. So that is uh, that's definitely a, a blessing. All right, man. Stay safe. All right, man. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.